You have to stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. This is all about leadership and improving your skills. And so we've got a perfect guest for today's show. And his name is Mark Given. I will introduce him in a a moment. Um, Just as a reminder, for all the episodes that have been in the past or the ones in the future, if you go to the website, yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. Yes, I know it's long, but it's easy to remember. Yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. And you'll find all of the past guests. Uh, links to their books, links to the podcast, links to their profiles. And with that said, let's talk about today's show. So the episode is about why not, why not do what it takes to transform your life, your business, and your leadership skills. It's actually very simple. Top achievers are readers. They think and act differently. That's the simple reason they reach higher levels of success in their business and their life. Discover strategies and principles to change your thinking and change your life. Trust-based leadership Proven ways to stop managing and start leading contains powerful messages to take to your leadership, take your leadership skills to higher levels. By using these principles, you can achieve better results while leading. Each proven strategy is written in a short, digestible thought and is independent of the others. You do not read each. We need to read each proven strategy in sequential order. Simply flip through. Well, look. And Mark's goal is in writing the series of trust-based philosophy books is to inspire and empower people. And that's what this show is all about. So again, ideal guest. So Mark has spoken and taught at more than 1,200 events over the past 15 years on leadership, sales, success, and trust-based networking system. He has written eight books, including an Amazon number one bestseller, his best-selling trust-based philosophy book series. Mark has spent 20 years as a CEO of a multi-state sales and rental company that grew to 47 locations. Along the way, he has invested tens of thousands of hours speaking and teaching his trust-based philosophy system. So with that, Mark, welcome. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Tom. I'm so glad to be here. I appreciate you having me. Oh, absolutely. Look, I, as you guys know, I read these books and um, Mark, you know, I always like when the author signs his book. Mark signed his book, Trust Rules. That's always obviously very very important to the author. So why do you sign your books, Trust Rules? Well, it does. Uh, you know, there are so many things we can focus on in life and in business, but the reality of, of um, the way the world ticks is that if people can't trust us or don't trust us or question whether they can trust us, it's very difficult to build relationships or build a business when folks don't have trust. And it's, trust is not just a concept that we think that, well, you know, we, we need to have it, that we recognize. Of course, it's a concept, but there's more to it than that. It runs much deeper, and there actually is a science to building, maintaining, and repairing trust. And so that's really what I write about is not, not the scientific importance of it, but the strategies that touch on the science of building, maintaining, and repairing trust. Interesting. There's a science. So we'll get into that, but let's uh, get a little more personal here. In your intro, you write, by the way, Mark is in North Carolina, and if you guys are basketball fans and we're getting ready to approach March Madness, uh, and you're in the United States, oh, by the way, for our our, uh, out-of-country listeners, 
Um, big time of the year for college basketball fans, and he is in ACC country, which uh, I have a connection with him that he does not yet know about. But Mark writes in there something to the effect that he can't, never was able to dunk a basketball. And Mark, I just wanted to let you know, I'm with you. I've never been able to dunk a basketball either. So here's my little secret. And I'm going to say this very proudly. Okay. The two hardest years of my Army career were spent at the University of Virginia. And by the way, who's the current national champion? The University of Virginia. Thank you very much. I'll never probably get to say that again, but I had to say it now. Go ACC, right? So it's still ACC anyway. That's a good thing. All right, great. Well, look, um, he already. Did, so, if you go, to, if you were, if I were you were to read Mark's book, I would start with the bonus where he has in the back where he, he's talking to Jack Canfield. And if you guys know that name, he is the Chicken Soup author, and he's very famous for having done that. So, just the fact that Mark has spoken as much as he's done and had that interview with Jack Canfield um, should speak to his credentials. So. Mark, did when you when, when trust is so important to you? Was there a life changing event that caused you to re- realize that it was so important? Um, yeah, let's call it a series of life changing events over six decades. Okay, <laughs> um, from really from the very beginning, you know, it just seems so interesting that um, the the way the world seems to tick is that when people trust you personally, or they trust that you will deliver you get chosen over the competition. So I noticed that when I was a kid playing baseball in the, you know, in the uh, yard in that, in the, in back in Mount Vernon, Ohio, that if they trust you can deliver on uh, or perform, right, then you play. And if you don't, you ride the pines. And so, although that seems like um, maybe a, a simple or, you know, principle, it's not simplistic because it carries through everything, even on now to, uh, my wife and I have been married for 42 years. We have five children. We have eight grandchildren. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, you know, I well give all the credit to them for, for not, you know, tossing me out. But, uh, but the, that's the point. I mean, in other words, in life and business, if you understand the importance of trust, you'll, you'll find levels of success that you'll just never find if people can't trust you personally, your, your integrity, your virtue. Uh, and they and people just are not going to hire you if you can't deliver. They trust that you can deliver on on your promises as it relates to work and business. So I actually learned about that as a young kid. I didn't um, I didn't really start uh, speaking about that or even using the importance of that until later on in life. Until I got into college and then uh, and then became a CEO of a retail company and then. Now I've just decided, hey, after 40 years, it's time for me to start writing about this. So I founded what I uh, what we call the trust-based philosophy. Written four books on that. Now trust, one focus on trust, uh, one trust in leadership, one trust in selling, one trust in networking, and one trusting in personal success. And I'm about 50% done with the next book, which is on trust-based entrepreneurship. How do we how do we create the, the life and business we want and not depend on somebody else to hire us to do that? How do we do that ourselves? And so it will be my experience, but it will also be interviews with, I hope, some people like a Jack Canfield and some other big names that, um, that people will be interested to hear what they have to say to create the, the kind of life and business you want based on a foundation of trust. So it won't just be Mark Gibbons philosophy. It will be the trust-based philosophy as delivered by, well, uh, I'm, I'm hoping for some 
some really, really big, I, I'd like to have about a dozen people that uh, from different areas of uh, business and life uh, so that people will really be interested in how it, how it ties to entrepreneurship. So that's the book that should be out this year. All right. That's great. You know, so clearly Mark has got a, a steely eyed focus on the word trust. And, and when he's talking about this in his book, he does share his business experience, how he had this experience first with retail and then with real estate. And he said, you know, this is just common everywhere you go. And he's absolutely right. Now he used this phrase when he just, um, was giving his response there. He said, trust is simple, but not simplistic. I love that. And cause I'm a guy who's a, believes in fundamentals. If you're playing sure. sports and you know, you got to hit the tackling dummy football, for example, it's, it's a fundamental thing. Um, now, so on that note, you have a little uh, quip in the book. You say there are no tricks to building trust. Do you want to comment on the fact that there are no tricks? Yeah, I, I will. Uh, in other words, uh, if people believe or, or think that they can trick people into trusting them, it's, it, if, they, if they can even accomplish that at all, it becomes very short-lived because your true self in work and in business, you can't hide it. So it may be simple to come up with some tricks to do it, but they're not long-lasting. People find you, you're, we're very transparent. And, um, and so trust is, as it relates to that, is, it's, it's either in you or it's not, and you need to work on it, right? There are skills just like there would be in athletics, or uh, in, in any other, you have, I think you have a, you know, we certainly have, a, you have an education background in the ACC and, and I'm here in North Carolina, so I have that background. We can learn lots of things and then we have to practice them. So um, in order to, uh, to raise our level so that uh, we stand above the, you know, everybody's saying, pick me, pick me, choose me, right? So, so we want, but it has to be what's in our soul, not just uh, tricks to get people to look at us or, or, um, you know, hire us or maybe uh, create some, some kind of relationship. They're just not long-lasting if it's not really us. We've got to practice it. Love it, love it, love it. He used words like your true self, in your soul. He didn't use this word. I don't believe he did, but this is what he's talking about because you see it all the time. Authenticity. Yeah, amen. All right. That's uh, exactly now, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that is exactly right. And we clearly... All you have to do, Thomas, is uh, cut on the TV or, or uh, open up a newspaper or an online, you know, uh, news anymore. And you can just see how people, uh, businesses are not authentic, right? And you, can, you can't hide very long. It always will come out. And so uh, if you're trustworthy, if you have the elements and the science of trust within you, you, you that's easy to deliver and it and it maintains and if you don't people discover it they'll they'll find it out and they don't mind sharing it today's world yeah and I gotta tell you you know you piqued my curiosity when you talked about your new book about entrepreneurs and as a solopreneur uh, I think you've got a, a great market and a great need for people to read that next uh, chapter or if you next, will chapter next, next book for you hope so. um, well, look, let's get into, you talked about there are skills for building trust, and you have four stages. Do you mind stating what those stages are, and we'll go through them one by one? All the years that I was um, uh, recognized the importance of trust, just like most people do, what I never, and all the things I'd read, and all the things I'd studied, and all of the programs or courses that I was involved in, they talked about the philosophy of trust, Tom, but they never talked about the reality of what I teach, which is there are four 
separate facets to trust. And the first one is I call, I call the grand opening. In other words, we all know that at one time or another, somebody told us you only get a, one opportunity to make a first impression. Well, there's a science to that. In other words, how can we be our best self in that first impression? So I'll give you a very quick principle on that. After 15 years of study, Harvard discovered as they were studying authenticity that uh, people really are trying to determine in the grand opening when we see somebody for the first time, how quickly do we determine? How, how quickly is that first impression established? And what are they looking for? Well, they're looking for, are you a good person? Or are you a competent person? So do you have heart? Do you have some level of intelligence so that you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't harm me? You're not an ax murderer. But, but what they also determined was we formed that opinion in 50 milliseconds. So in that quick, and we use the word profiling now, Tom, but I don't know that we always will. Might change to something else in the future. But right now we profile people in 50 milliseconds. We determine are they a good person? Are they a competent person? And at the same time, we're judging them, profiling that they're profiling us. So what I try to teach people in the grand opening is how to be your best self in the first impression or the grand opening. The second facet then is the uh, rapport building stage. That's where I teach people, companies, organizations, associations. When I go talk to colleges, when I talk to, gosh, you know, when, I, when I'm just talking to salespeople, it, 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 all, it applies to all different, all different groups of people and all different uh, professions. I teach them that if we listen more, talk less, we'll be much better off. But then we have to teach them, what do you listen for? And so how do we build trust in the rapport stage? We ask good questions, and then we listen for the answer. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, listen with the intent to hear, instead of listening, listening with the intent to speak. So that's really the second facet, which is the rapport stage. Then the third stage is where we, um, we nurture and build that relationship. So it's the re relationship building stage or facet where we are actually um, – serving. So we, we give more than we take. People love givers. They don't like takers. So uh, it depends on whether I'm talking with people about relationships. I'm talking to organizations about sales. I help them understand that people want value. So you have to deliver value and prove that that's important to you. When you build value, you build trust. So again, it's, it's the grand opening. Then it's the rapport building stage. Then it's the maintenance stage is the third facet. And the last facet is the repair stage where I teach the steps to truly apologize. We cannot obviously make people accept our apology, but in today's world, we talked about authenticity a few minutes ago. When you're not authentic enough to be sincerely sorry that you did or said, there are steps to, to do it properly so that you can at least have an opportunity to, to rebuild trust. And we see companies, organizations, people in the news every day that destroy trust and, and they won't even, they won't even admit that they did anything wrong or could possibly have done something wrong. And that's really the first step of the apology stage. So there you go. That's the four facets. It's the grand opening. It's the rapport building stage. It's the, you know, it's the maintenance stage. And then it's the repair stage or the apology facet. So there you go. So four, and I was never taught that. I was just always taught, gosh, you got, you got to build and maintain trust, but nobody ever taught me how. And so uh, I had to figure that out on my own. So now I go out and speak to 
organizations and companies and people and you know about how to how to actually do it right what's the science behind it what are the steps behind it great well look i want to dive in even further and i want to <laughs> share share a little story with you for you to comment so you're talking about let's just talk about the grand opening and how okay. you know first impressions are lasting right. impressions and uh, so i got to tell a quick story and then i'll ask you the question okay. so here i am a young lieutenant in the army i'm in my early 20s and i've been on k16 airbase in korea for about 9 months and for whatever reason my boss suggests i go work at the battalion staff which is about 10 miles away and now i'm work because he says you need to be around this battalion commander. His name is Mike Pulliam, my very first battalion commander. I consider him my mentor, my coach, and the best influence that I've ever had in my career. So one day I'm in his entourage back at K-16 where I had just lived for nine months. And as he's walking by every person, he's greeting them by their first name. And I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking, how in the world did you do that? I've been here for nine months and I have no clue what their first name is because first of all, I'm more formal and I'm calling them Sergeant this or Lieutenant that. And anyway, I get the opportunity to ask him this question in a car. By the way, you'll appreciate this. He is an ACC country, a Winston-Salem fam. And, uh, and Go Winston, I mean, excuse me, a Wake fan in Winston-Salem. Yeah, 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 and um, I, I said, sir, how did you, how do you remember those names? And he said, well, one day I just made a conscious effort. Now, I did that and I applied that in my career and it did work for me. But Mark has got this two, excuse me, a three-step process that's different than a two-step process, which I really enjoyed reading about and I would like you to share with the listeners. Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, you know, it's interesting how our brain works. So if you're normal, and like, like uh, you know, most people are, they don't have, uh, psychological problems. So they're on a, just a regular normal level. It's not, it's not about IQ. It's just about your uh, ability to hear and listen. We, we have all been taught the same thing, Tom. Every one I have ever met is taught the same thing. And I call it a two-step greeting. And the two-step greeting is, hi, I'm, or hello, I'm, or it's nice to see you, I'm. But the key word in there is I. And so that, that introduction in, my, in the grand opening, and that's what I'm talking about, is not about the person we're meeting. It's about us. It's about the person we really want to talk about, which is ourselves. And so the normal brain, the way it functions is when you say, hi, I'm, a two-step greeting, then you say your name. That's part of the two-step greeting. Instead of you actually listening to the other person. Now, you hear them say it. But rather than actually locking into what they're saying, like this officer did, your experience, he, he made a conscious decision to actually listen. And so what happened was he could then, he had a better chance of remembering the name. Most people don't do that. And a two-step greeting, they say, hi, I'm. And then while the other person is responding by saying their name, which they're saying, hi, I'm, you're thinking, not maybe you, Tom, but most individuals are thinking about what they're going to say next. So the science of it is your brain doesn't multitask. My brain doesn't multitask. So what happens is when I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, although my ears may hear what they're saying, it does not register with me. So then we go off and take these memory courses to help us try to associate people with all kinds of different things situations or animals or circumstances. And the, and the reality of it is if we would just go from a two-step greeting to a three-step greeting, 
with some additional training, you are automatically more likely to understand, hear, and remember. So here's the difference. Instead of hi, I'm, you would, you would give them a salutation. You'd still say hi or hey or hello. It's nice to see. But you would include, you would include the word you. So mm-hmm. hello, it's good to see you today. I don't know your Tom yet, so hi, it's good to see you today. But then you would follow. That's the first step. The second step, then, you would use the word you again, but you just say thank you. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for allowing me to be on your show today, Tom. I mean, there are so many things you can thank. There are an infinite number of reasons you can thank somebody for their moments of time. But the key now is instead of hi, I'm making it about me, I've now said two steps that included the word you. It's good to see you today. Thank you for seeing me. Then you would say your name. In this case, I'm Tom. Now, here's what we've learned after, gosh, thousands and thousands of exercises on trying to help people, probably tens of thousands of people try to teach us to. They automatically, their brain, that normal brain, after saying three things, I, I can't tell you why yet. Don't know why, but the after saying three things, you are more inclined to actually listen to the other person. Instead of wanting to actually say something, you're more inclined just from going from three things, three steps, or going from two steps to three steps, or having three steps instead of two steps, you are more inclined to actually listen to what they have to say. And then you use all those things that you learn in those memory courses or then now we're, you know, we're more um, uh, purposeful in, in actually trying to remember it. And then, of course, it goes on from that that we teach them to try to repeat the name maybe several times if it's appropriate. And then you walk away from an introduction and you have a much, much significantly higher chance of remembering that name because so often in the two-step greeting, most people, and I've had thousands of people tell me this, that they walk away from two-step greeting, they walk away, they don't remember. You know, I mean, it was just, it just happened. You can't remember their name. But you go to a three-step greeting, I've had just hundreds of emails from people that said, Mark, that seems so simple. It just seems so simple, but it really wasn't simplistic. I had to practice it. I had to become comfortable at it. But once I became comfortable going from a two-step greeting to a three-step greeting, I've now created a system that when I meet people, I am much more inclined now to not only remember their name, but I've, I have, um, it's changed, it's changed the feeling of that introduction. They tend to like me more and I tend to have learned more about them. So it's the difference in my mind, Tom, of going, let's associate it with the Olympics since those happen regularly. It's a difference of not getting on the stand at all to get a medal going then from bronze, silver to gold medal. I mean, it, it really is. It becomes a gold medal uh, strategy to become more immediately more likable. And the ancillary benefit is I'm much more inclined to remember the person I just met. And then I can have some other habits and purposeful things that I do to make sure now that I log that, uh, you know, then I set up a system to connect with them if I need to. But anyway, that's a, that's not a Cliff Notes version, but that's, that's how it works. It, it's just so critically important to go from a two-step greeting to a three-step greeting, and it takes practice to do that. 
It's simple, but it's not simplistic. Well, look, Mark, that's fantastic, and I'm glad you didn't give us the Cliff Notes version because I'm going to tell you why. You know, part of the book and part of what he talks about, and hopefully I get this paraphrased correctly, it's essentially an issue of, as a leader, character over competence. People are going to be looking at your character and some of these things, and trust is obviously key and very, very important. And, you know, I wish I would have known your three-step process 15, uh, you know, when I was a <laughs> lieutenant, that story that I told you, because 15 years later, I'm in Mike's shoes. I'm a battalion commander, and I have my very first time, I have all my cadets, and I knew each of them by name because I studied their names and profiles and pictures, and when I met them, and they were so surprised that I knew their name. Yeah. Well, I've made it a point to do that every day. I shouldn't say every day. I'm not always, I'm not just, I'm not religious about it, but, but I, I do the best I can, and Good. I found that that technique was very, very helpful for me. So um, I think I've got time for one more question before we go to the break. So okay. here's, here's a question for you. Why are names so important to us? Why are our names so important to us? Dale Carnegie wrote about that back in the 1940s when he wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, it's just the principle that, uh, you know, most people like other people. You know, we like to be around other people. But the most interesting topic that we ever have is conversations that we get a chance to tell about ourselves. We love to hear our name. Dale wrote about that. We love to tell stories about ourselves. Dale wrote about that. I mean, they're way back in the 40s. And yet, I bet Socrates understood that philosophy back, you know, long, long, long ago that people, you know, we just, we just enjoy hearing our name and we love to have the opportunity to tell our stories. So when you give them an opportunity to do that by just, the first stage, which is the grand opening, you become way more likable immediately. So there's the answer to your question. We love talking about us because that's what we know the most about, right? Mm -hmm. We know more about ourselves than anybody else. We love to talk about that. Perfect. Well, look, we're going to get ready to take a break, but I want to recap a little bit what he said in the first half of our show here. And that is, you know, and just I'm going to share with you a personal experience. Again, it took me 15 years to get to that point where I was able to to do it, you know, and I would say do it pretty well. Um, you know, the, I, I would argue that Mark's main message here is, is take the take the, shot, the spotlight off of yourself and become more others focused. I would tell you that my experience is that when I meet people and, and I make it a point to be a listener and not a talker, they walk away thinking I'm a great conversational, I'm a great listener, and I'm a great talker, but yet I've spent the majority of the time listening. And so as leaders, as people who are going to be servant leaders, I would encourage you to be more others focused. And I want to let Mark, we're going to have to take a break here, but Mark, you can pick it up and then we'll get into your second, third, and fourth. Um, That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, thank you very much. So you've been listening to your evolving leadership journey with Mark Given and his book, Trust-Based Leadership. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. 
They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to Tom at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Now, back to your evolving leadership journey. Welcome back. We've been speaking this morning with Mark Given, the author of Trust-Based Leadership. And we, he has these four stages of developing trust, which I think is think are great for anybody. Now, look, we, uh, we only got to the first stage in the first half an hour and I would like to uh, just kind of remind everybody we were talking about. I was saying, hey, when you know, I get into conversations and I just listen, people walk away thinking I'm a great conversationalist and I haven't said a word. So, Mark, before we get into the, your final three stages, what are your thoughts on that? That's absolutely the truth. You know, the, the cool thing is if you put your ego aside and recognize, uh, especially my, uh, my, the book that just came out, towards the ends of last year was called Trust-Based Networking. And that was the whole philosophy of that. The whole principle of that book, Trust-Based Networking, Proven Ways to Stop Meeting and Start Connecting, is the fact that if, we, if we're networking for, if for any purpose other than to build our own ego, ego, then what we need to do is to listen more and talk less. And so, so that's, that's the value of the, this whole grand opening, which is understanding how it applies in a deep level, in a more productive level, more profitable level, as it applies to meeting and greeting people, networking, and so on and so forth. So building relation, setting the foundation for building a relationship. Don't make it about you, you make it about them, which actually leads to the next facet, which is the rapport building state. All right, so let's talk about rapport building, but let us uh, let me introduce that with this question. So his Rapport building, he talked when he gave the intro, he talked about the listening, and I wrote down the word empathy, listening with empathy. He talked about a Chinese proverb. But let's start, this will be our springboard, a quote from you. Okay. The best way to command respect is to be worthy of it. Sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a pretty good quote. I think I, 
think I did a good job right now. I thought it was a good quote. I highlighted I want to ask you about it. What does it have to do with rapport building? And well, trust. it has everything to do with rapport building because realistically, when you show interest in the other person, which is the rapport building stage, listening more than talking, asking questions and sincerely listening with empathy and interest. And, and so the reality of that is you become a lot more likable when you show interest in the other person and you show interest by actually listening. And what I teach in the rapport building stage is people, people like to talk about four different areas of their life. So we call it the Ford principle. They will often and regularly talk about their family when it's appropriate to ask those questions, something about their family. You and I, when, before the show started, we talked about just a touch about the fact that our background, and I even mentioned, right? I even mentioned so far in this broadcast that um, that we I've been married 42 years, have five children, eight grandchildren. People love talking about their family. So when you give them opportunities to do that, and it's an appropriate question, that works. That's the F. O stands for occupation or what they do or what they did. People love to talk about their life experiences. So when you ask them questions about what they do or what they did, they'll tell you all about it. And then the idea, of course, is to retain that information, systems to retain. Then the R, the R stands for recreation, what they do for fun. So when you ask people questions about what they do that's enjoyable, for some people it's work, for other people it could be anything. You mentioned we've had this quick conversation about ACC, March Madness. See, that's a recreation type thing. You don't have to play it. But boy, when March Madness comes up, look at the billions of dollars that are lost in productivity because people are watching basketball. They love to do that. So that's a whole separate issue. But that just proves the point. Then the D and the Ford acronym stands for dreams, where you see yourself in the future. Or maybe it could be where you see uh, your family in the future or your children, your grandchildren. But anyway, it applies to where you see yourself in the future. So the rapport building stage is about asking questions and listening, truly listening to build some kind of understanding of this individual. So we teach people in the, in the rapport building stage when we're with companies, organizations, associations, colleges, wherever, doctors, you know, in their bedside manner. We, te we teach them that, sure, the, the main principle that we're there for business is important, but what really people want to do is be understood. And so um, if, you, if you use the Ford concept, family, occupation, recreation, and friends, it's amazing. It's amazing how far you can go to build trust, to build rapport, to build the foundation of a relationship. So critically important. Sounds simple. But it takes some work, takes some effort. It's, it's not simplistic to do it. It's not always natural for people. They have to work at it to, to learn how to do that and do it well. And be sincere, right? Because the whole idea is to be sincere about it. Great. Well, look, um, your comments sparked yet another thought for me. And uh, I just pulled a book <laughs> off my shelf. I'm, I, we're on a Zoom session and Mark can see me. And this book is by a woman named Lyle Lowndes. It's How to Talk to Anyone, anyway. 92. Yeah. I got to tell you, the reason I sh I'm showing you that, Mark, is because in her book, she's got this one um, introduction, if you will. So let's say you go to a networking event. And most people will say, because you talked about occupation and you're getting ready to write this book for entrepreneurs and networking is important. 
they want to say, so what do you do for your occupation? You know, because they don't say, what do you do? Assuming like, what's your occupation? And she suggests that you ask this simple question instead. And I thought it was very profound. How do you like to spend your time? Absolutely. That's a recreation type question, but it doesn't have to be a recreation because they can answer that any number of ways, right? right. Now you get an understanding of where they're, you know, you find out a lot about people about how they spend their time. So that's a wonderful question. What was her name again on that book? Lyle, L-E-I-L, Lowndes, L-O-W-N-D-E-S. Good. I'm going to buy that book because that applies to what I teach. And I, oh, and great. I a book that, that clearly I need to read. I haven't heard of that before. So I want to, I'm going to go online after our show here and, and order a copy because, um, you know, that's the principle of building rapport. That's the second facet, which is, be more interested than trying to be interesting. That review interview you were talking about with me and Jack Canfield, he said his wife, in that interview, in the back of my trust-based leadership book, uh, he said that his wife taught him that. Jack Canfield's wife said, Jack, if you just spend more time trying to be interested rather than being interesting, that's the principle she's teaching. That's the rapport building stage. Great. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and let me just close this particular discussion out with this. The subtitle of the book is 92 Little Tricks for Big Success in Relationships. So here's a message for everybody who's listening. So number one, I went and reached off my bookshelf because I wanted to remember her name and tell Mark the book. Number two, Mark said, I want to go buy that book. And in the very, very beginning of this show, the description of this show is, is that the best leaders, the people who do the best or most successful are the ones who read. So I just can't emphasize that yeah. point enough, and yeah. I wanted to say that. So thank you, Mark, for, for allowing me that opportunity. You're a great uh, – I'm going to show my age here, Ed McMahon. <laughs> thank you for the uh, recommendation because that's a book I'm unfamiliar with. So. Yeah, well, look, um, yeah, and for you guys who don't know who Ed McMahon is, well, that's the Tonight Show prior to, <laughs> uh, prior to Jay Leno, so we're really going back. Anyway, so let's go to stage three. You're talking about nurturing and building Maybe. relationships and about Maybe. giving more than you take. I'm sure you're familiar with Adam Grant and his book, Give and Take, and there are a number of those things where, you know, and sometimes people feel like, let me ask, let me introduce it this way. Sometimes people, at least from the Adam Grant perspective, feel like, you know, if you're too much of a giver, you get walked on. If you're too much of a taker, people feel like you, you can't be trusted and you got to find that right balance. So I don't know. If, t tell us about how your stage three and anything that I just shared. Sure. So in the maintenance facet of the trust-based philosophy, it really is about maintenance. It's about, okay, so now we've established some kind of, um, interest back and forth. We've got some rapport built. Now, how do we how do we continue to build it so that from a business standpoint, it would be repeat and referral business, right? I mean, that's what the maintenance stage is all about. From a relationship standpoint, it's a, uh, you know, we care for each other, right? And we prove that I care for you, you care for me. So, so the maintenance stage is just being more of a giver than being a taker. The, the world loves givers. So it's being generous. It's not about spending money. It's about being generous with your time, with your efforts, with your knowledge. Just as, Tom, you shared the name of the book. That's a, that's a maintenance type thing, right? That, that you would do that regularly so that you would uh, be generous with the, the things you do to help other people succeed. And so you put your own ego aside. You put your own needs aside. Probably as good a book as your listeners could 
read if they have not read that absolutely teaches this principle is a book by Bob Berg and John David Mann called The Go-Giver. And he wrote a series, they wrote a series of books um, that are wonderful, that absolutely teach this principle, the maintenance phase, which is that you, you'd be a giver. Um, you know, of course, there are people out there that will take advantage of you if you're a giver. But the truth is, that's, that's rare. And, and, and as soon as you find out that you've got takers, you just separate yourself from those people. So the world loves givers. And so if you, if you can understand that you put your own needs aside, that uh, even, even Zig Ziglar said this years and years and years ago uh, when he was in the height of his uh, uh, traveling and teaching, he said, you can have anything in your life that you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And I've heard that said a lot of different ways, but that, I think, I think I've said it the way Zig said it. You want, you got goals and wishes in your life. Well, go help people get what they want and then you'll get what you want. It, it's the people that are religious. They'll see that in the scriptures, right? You give and you get in the world. You see it in business. You see it in life. You see it in relationships. So the maintenance uh, facet is just being a giver. So you got to know the people well enough. That's why the grand opening and the rapport building stage are so important because you don't know what to do. You can't start with the maintenance phase, right? You don't know what will resonate with them if you don't know their needs. Um, I had somebody not long ago start with, tried to start that with, in the maintenance phase with me. And they, uh, they were so kind. I met them someplace. They clearly didn't know me well. And they sent me a box of cigars. Well, that's very nice, but I don't smoke <laughs> at all. And, and I don't smoke cigars. And my wife would never allow me to smoke a cigar in the yeah. house, even if I was going to try one. So it, it was such a kind gesture, but it did not have the same effect as it could have if they had known me well enough to actually, if they're going to send me some little gift, send me a gift that would resonate with me, right? Um, you mean like tickets to an ACC tournament? That's right. Exactly. Greensboro, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, that's exactly the principle. And by the way, this is not rocket science. Once you get to know somebody just a little bit, it's easy to figure out how to do something that resonates with him. And it's not about being, you know, um, it's not about buying their love. I don't mean it that way. It's just showing kindness and humanity. Uh, and it relates to business and relationships. You do things that resonate with people. That's how you build a maintenance phase. And that's how you have long-term relationships, whether it be in business and life. But you can't, you can't do it until you know them well enough to know what to do. So, uh, back years, years ago, uh, Harvey, Mc, uh, Harvey McKay wrote a book called How to Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. And in that book, he had 60, he called it the McKay 66, 66 things that uh, if you could know these things about this individual, you'd know more about them than their mother does. And so I, I would encourage your listeners to look that up, the McKay 66, and what they'll discover that in business and in life, but more related to business, that if you understand the, the importance of that, it doesn't have to be 66 things. It could be 22 things, right? It could be 105 things. But the point is, the more you know, the better you can serve. So I think Bob Berg and John David Mann got it right. I think, I think Dale Carnegie got it right. I think that Harvey McKay got it right. And they're all teaching the same thing. Be a giver, right? Be interested in the other person's success. And, and that's exactly what Zig Ziglar taught. 
if, if you want to, to succeed in life, be a giver. So I teach principles of how to do that, uh, how to learn, how to, how to record, how to maintain, and then what kind of decisions would you make as to, and examples when I'm out actually speaking, teaching, I'll give them examples of things that, not that what I've done, but what other people have done that really resonated to create more uh, long-term relationships and repeat referral business. So that's, that's the maintenance fit and facet. Per- perfect. Well, look, let me recap uh, stages two and three a little bit. Mark was talking about the world loves givers. And if you're a listener to this show, particularly how we got started, it was all about servant leadership, your, your leadership journey, how it's going to evolve. And the fundamentals that I have on the, uh, my, the website, at least for the LinkedIn group, talk about listening and empathetic listening. And um, I just think it's fantastic because everything you're talking about ties in. So now let's get to that final phase. And I don't know <laughs> if this also, you talk about the repair and I wrote down true apology. Um, to me, I'm guessing you also talk about conflict a little bit, but, but talk, talk about your fourth stage. Sure. And, and let me say, as I begin to teach that, that everything, although I may not have used the word leadership probably enough in this particular broadcast with you, everything applies as a leader. Everything I've said applies as a leader. I mean, if you want to be recognized as a leader that people, I teach that leaders inspire, right? There's a difference between a manager and a leader. Managers manage tasks. Leaders inspire people to greater heights. So every bit of this applies to leadership. All four facets apply to leadership. So the fourth facet is the apology facet. We all make mistakes. We, you know, we're just human beings. So we say things and we do things that, that we, you know, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. But the, the point is, there's four, well, there's four steps to an apology. The first step to an apology is to recognize that you have actually done something wrong and that in some way you've harmed somebody, whether it be an individual or, um, you know, as, as a leader, it might be your team, as a, as a company, it might be your, you know, those that buy your products. But Anyway, the first step is actually recognizing that you've done something wrong. The second step then of the apology facet is that, that you would actually admit that you did something wrong. You would, how did it make them feel or how were they affected by that? Now, I'm not an attorney, so I know that attorneys will counsel often their, you know, those that they serve. That you Be careful with admitting because it might make you culpable, responsible, and so I'm not going to go down that path to, to argue that point. Um, th- but the point is, the first step is recognizing. The second step is actually admitting that you've done something wrong, uh, whether it be in a relationship or in business. We see examples of that every day in the newspaper where individuals or companies have harmed people. And what's critically important is what they do when either they are told or they recognize on their own when they go to the second piece, which is how, how did we harm somebody? Let's, let's just talk about how we did it. Then the third step of the apology stage is actually take some steps to correct it, to fix it, to, you know, to, um, you know, now that we recognize we did something wrong, we've admitted that it harmed somebody, how it might even make us feel. Now we take steps to make that better, right? Here's what we can do. Or here's what we will do to improve the circumstances, right? So in the, in the world of business, it would be a recall, right? Instead of hiding a recall, 
we'd actually do the recall, take the, take the positive steps to recall. Here's what we did. And gosh, gosh, we hate that it's this way, but here's what we're going to do to rectify the situation. And then the fourth thing is to just, you know, once you've done all of those other three, you just tell everybody what you're going to do to make sure that you recognize where you are and that you're not going to do it again. And what you're going to do to make sure that those things don't ever happen again, because we can be forgiven when we're conscious enough to recognize, admit, apologize, and then declare we won't do it again. Now, we cannot make people accept our apology, but if you do everything that you're supposed to do in those four steps, you've taken a, a huge leap towards people accepting your apology, even if it takes a little bit of time. problem we have in the world today is as soon as you make some kind of mistake, I spent 20 years in retail. When, when we upset somebody in retail, they might go out and tell 100 people pre all of this social media stuff. But now that we have technology today, if you don't admit it, it ain't going to be long before somebody discovers it, and then they're going to blast it out to the world. So you really do need to go through those steps. And I teach companies, people all the time that they need to take those steps immediately because if silence is almost an admission of, it also, it, it appears as if it's an admission of, we don't care, right? Um, and that's not a good place to be when you're trying to build long-term relationships or build a business that's successful. So there are plenty of evidences, and I won't name names, but there, it's clearly out there in the political world. It's out there in the business world. It's out there in the personal relationship world where we, we really mess up, and then we don't do the, the right steps to try to repair it. And uh, sometimes you can't repair it, but the key is let's let's try to do everything we can to repair it so that we can move forward, right? Put this behind us and let's move forward. Well, thank you. Look, um, during those two difficult years for me at the University of Virginia and the <laughs> ACC, I loved a couple things, basketball, of course. And I love the fact that I had unique privilege and opportunity to meet a gentleman named Randy Pausch. Now, I don't know if you know that name, but he wrote a book called The I Last did. Lecture, and he was my graduate school advisor. And um, he's a fantastic guy. He was only a year older, but I wanted to share with you in his book, he also talks in about apology, and this is more on a personal level. And he, his first two parallel years, he talks about, hey, admitting it or, or identifying it, recognize it, admitting it. I should have not, shouldn't have done that. And his third step, because I wanted to share this uh, because I think this applies more to individuals and everything else. Yours just applies as well, but it's it's also business related. But his sure. is to ask the question, how can I make it better? Amen, and, bro. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, look, this has been fantastic. We don't have a lot of time left. I'm going to ask you to just tell us a little bit about your business. And if you leave me any time, I'll just I'll ask you to explain one or two of your quotes. Go ahead. Okay. What I love more than anything is to, I mean, I just thank you so much for having me on the show. What I love more than anything is to show up in person and work with companies or organizations, associations. So if you go to markgiven.com, you can find me there. Um, you know, my, all my information is there. Um, obviously, I'd love to do live events. And so um, I think I'm more powerful there because I get a chance to to help the individuals that need the help. So markgiven.com, obviously you can find me, uh, my books on Amazon. You can connect with me at mark at markgiven.com. And, um, and I wish you would, if you got questions or help, if I can help you individually, your company, 
I really am interested in doing that. And so um, I'm just grateful for the opportunity, Tom, that you give me some time to talk about this important, important uh, topic, which is building, maintaining, repairing trust. Well, that's great. Well, you're not off the hook yet because we've got a little more time. (laughs) So in your proven way, number six, you talk about focus and you have this quote, a Mark Gibbon quote. Yeah. You say, when you're seeking trust-based leadership, focus on controlling your sales, spelled S-A-I-L-S. Yeah. Not not sales that most people would think about. Not the wind that drives you. Could you explain that in our last yeah. two minutes? Yeah, in the last two minutes. Sure. Um, you know what? I've been around for six decades now. And so what I've discovered is there's a whole bunch of stuff in the world I have no control over. So, But the one thing I can control is how I live in the world, react to the world, and respond to people and and how they act. And so when I use the word sales, S-A-I-L-E-S, that's the only thing. I can't control the wind, right? I can't control what's going on out there, but I can control my reaction to it. And so if I can adjust my sales to the circumstances, I can continue to, instead of focus on the negative, I can continue to try to focus on what I can control, which is the direction that I'm going. So S-A-I-L-S is about, you know, is having some purpose in what it is I'm trying to do and who and the person I'm trying to be. So that's what that Mark Mark Givenism is all about. Well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And by the way, for our listeners, I, I had about more than a dozen quotes here. You know, he's got them from Plato, a Chinese proverb, Muhammad Ali, Martin Luther King, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, one that I'd never heard of before, William Arthur Ward. It goes on and on. James Allen, Eddie Edwards, Mother Teresa, Vince Lombardi. Got to love that. So, but I also had four or five Mark Given quips. And if you want to know what they are, you're just going to have to pick up the book. Well, look, it's been great. I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you so much, Mark Given and Trust-Based Leadership. Really, really appreciate it. Final goodbye. Hey, just thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure. And, you know, any of your listeners, just reach out to me. Let me know how I can help you succeed. I'd be thrilled to help any way I can. Fantastic. Everybody have a great week. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.